Hi, this is Savio. I've been seeking answers to some of life's most perplexing questions my entire life. In 2014, I was diagnosed with stage 3 cancer. And ever since, I realized my calling existed outside of what I knew to be familiar. This podcast is home for survivors like myself and those who yearn to build resilience in their mindset and live their best life. In Season 3, the show includes a mix of coaching sessions followed by interviews with those from all walks of life who have been successful in the wellness, business, media, and travel industries. The intent is to show the human experience in its rawest form so that others may glean insight. Nothing is rehearsed. As a board-certified wellness coach, number one best-selling author, and syndicated columnist, my job is to ask the deep questions of those trying to make sense of their place in this fractured world. I believe life speaks to us in different ways. Many of us listen, but don't know how or where to begin. As someone who has crossed the bridge between life and death, I say simply, begin where you are now and get busy living. If you liked today's episode, I would appreciate it if you could share it. Be sure to tag me at The Human Resolve so I can reciprocate in kind. So without further ado, welcome to The Human Resolve Podcast. Today's podcast guest on resilience is Jill Tejan, author, speaker, and electrical engineer. As Jill states, with her relentless optimism, she cannot curse the darkness if there is the opportunity to light one little candle. And what that means to me is that if you can see any way to overcome the problem that you're faced with, try that. See if it works. Well, thank you, Savio. It's such a pleasure to be here. I'm an author, a speaker, and an electrical engineer. And when I get introduced that way to so many of my audiences, they laugh. And it took me a long time to understand that they found that electrical engineer was incongruent with author and speaker. So I spent 45 years in the electric utility industry. I am an expert witness. I help get I help plan power plants and get them licensed and into rate base. And I've also now written 11 books. I speak all over the world on topics related to women in history, infrastructure, and my new book, Over, Under, Around, and Through How Hall of Famers Surmount Obstacles. Wow, that was a lot. I'm so excited <laughs> to dig right in. Uh, so I wanted to thank you so much for collaborating with me and, and contributing to my interview series with Authority Magazine and Thrive Global, um, Rising Through Resilience. So I love that quote in the beginning about not cursing out the darkness when you can light just one candle. So beautiful. Can you expound a little bit on that? Well, that was actually from Martha Uriosti, who said, and she's one of the 50 women profiled in this in the book, Over, Under, Around, and Through, and she said she has relentless optimism. And with her relentless optimism, she cannot curse the darkness if there is the opportunity to light one little candle. And what that means to me is that if you can see any way to overcome the problem that you're faced with, try that. See if it works. Wow, that's that's great. It's it not only gives one hope, but it I think you use the word bloom. Sort of you find sort of that imagined place and you know, from that creates preparation, right? Opportunity meets preparation. So 
I just really love that sort of aspect of even when you're down, you're never truly down. Right. And one of the other women, well, Carol Mutter, who was a Marine, I believe, general, maybe even three stars general in the United States Marines. She said, you bloom where you're planted, even if it isn't remotely the situation that you expected or where you thought you were going to be take the opportunity because you're there for a reason. Figure out what that reason is. Figure out what the lesson is that you're supposed to learn and bloom. Yeah, I mean, I really was fascinated with some of the backstory. You know, you mentioned so many diverse fields that you were in and, you know, you work for a company called American Company. Um, I would love to just learn, learn more about that. Well, I served actually on the board of directors of American Company. I'm also on the board of directors of Georgia Transmission Corporation. And being a member of the board, I have helped to set policy and provide oversight and direction and guidance to the CEO. And so Merrick is a wonderful company. I so enjoyed my 11 years on that board. I'm still on the board of Georgia Transmission Corporation. I will get my 25-year pin in at the annual meeting in March. Uh, it's an electric utility. I love the electric utility industry. Something I say to people, which I will say here, nobody has lost any electricity through outages except in Texas through severe weather and through hurricanes and severe weather. But throughout the pandemic, electricity has been provided 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's the business I spent my career in, ensuring that electricity is something that everyone can take for granted. And you know what? I just love that because I think everyone does take it for granted. You just assume it's going to work. And there's a lot of steps and behind the scenes that happens in order for that to actually truly work. And in some countries, people don't even have it or have least access to it. So I really, really love, you know, all the hard work and everything you sort of put into making that help, you know, realize in the world. So that's, that's, that's fantastic. Well, thank you. It's, it really is important. And there are an amazing number of people that it takes not only to bring you electricity, but to bring you clean water, to make sure as we're learning with the supply chain issues in the pandemic, to bring you food to the grocery store, to make sure that all of the things that we have taken for granted, that you go into a department store, you go into a grocery store and the shelves are full. Well, they aren't always full right now. So we're learning that there are other issues as well. So Jill, how do you define the word resilience? Resilience is being able to bounce back. It's not that you don't have obstacles in your life. Everyone, every single person faces obstacles in their life. But it's the, the way some of the people that we interviewed for the book said it. One of them said, I was immobilized for 10 milliseconds. <laughs> Another one said, it really set me back for 24 hours. And then I said, no, they're not going to get the best of me. This obstacle is not going to overpower me. I am going to figure out a way. And resilience is bouncing back. It's, there, there's, a, there's a country western song that we quote in the book. It's a tree that bends. So you bend, but you don't break. And that's resilience. 
we're all going to face problems. There are always going to be obstacles in our lives. But understanding that if you decide ahead of time that a problem that you face is impossible and that there's no way that you can ever deal with it, then you won't deal with it. But if you decide that an obstacle is, that it's a challenge and that you're gonna figure out a way over, under, around, or through, then, I mean, you know, and sometimes it's ignoring it. Sometimes it's just, it's like the spin that, that uh, politicians do all the time. You know, they answer a different question. So you figure out what it is that you're going to do instead of and how you're going to get around it. And, and that's part of the resilience equation. I know in the article, I sort of asked the question about resilience and courage. How do you see them either as the same or different? I see them as slightly different. And I did research in order to answer your question <laughs> in, in the course of putting that interview together. And often what I saw or what I read was that courage often relates to a one-time challenge that you, somebody, I, I read actually in, in my, I, I read a lot of um, electric utility publications. And in one of them yesterday, it said that so, uh, an individual saw a child in the middle of the road. A lineman for an electric utility saw a child in the middle of the road, got out of his vehicle and got the child. That's courage. Courage is getting all of your, um, your dedication, your thoughts to take care of the problem that faces you right now and, and being brave enough to do that. And resilience is you don't bend, you come back. You don't bend, you come back. You don't bend, you come back. All of those times. Yeah, I remember also in the article you mentioned a resilient person might need to muster courage in order to face pain or grief or to do something that frightens them. What have you faced in your life that, you know, speaks to this? And I don't think this part was in the article because I think this is a new question. And the answer is when my first husband and I had been married nine months, his parents died in a murder-suicide. He, We were each 22 years old at the time, and he had two brothers. He was the oldest, and he had a brother who was 18 and a brother who was 14, and his two brothers came to live with us. We'd been, we'd, we'd been married nine months. We'd been out of college nine months. We'd been at our jobs for eight months. We were learning to become adults, and now we were raising two teenagers. And so we did that. We, we, got them, we got them both through high school. We got them both through college. We got them on their feet. And you keep putting one foot in front of the other. You keep doing the things that you need to do in order to make sure that you are dealing with the situations that you're faced with. And that's that's a pretty significant situation. Yeah, I know also in there you speak very candidly about your divorce and thinking that that was gonna be happily ever after. But you know, I think when it comes to resilience and courage, people often say, well, they can do it, I can't. But when you speak to something as, you know, as sort of you know, profound or as simple as marriage, uh, so I really love that you touched upon that. Well, 
it, it is very interesting that for me, I mean, I was raised that you make a commitment and you honor that commitment. And my mother and I had a difficult relationship. And one of the most profound things she ever said to me was when my first husband moved out of the house, she said, this is one commitment you no longer have to honor. And so she gave me permission to do the things that I needed to do. I, I didn't understand for a very long time about the choices that I had and that the choices that I was making. I had an engineer father role model. Mom didn't work. She, they got married in 1953. She was a 1950s kind of a, a wife. She couldn't work because that would be a reflection on my father that he couldn't provide appropriately for the family and it was not acceptable to him. And so my role model was my father. He encouraged my sister and my two brothers and me to make the best of our abilities, to do everything that we could. And so here, here we are, you know, thinking, or I'm thinking, I'm going to finish college, I'm going to get married, I'm going to have kids, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to retire, and I'm going to die, which is what <laughs> is the role model that I had. And life is so much more complex than that, with so many more situations that you're faced with all of the time. Oh, and by the way, he worked for one employer that whole time. So that was part of my wow. equation too, which is no longer even a possibility <laughs> for almost anyone. And so... I had to understand and I had to become, if I wasn't already resilient, I had to become resilient, facing all of these challenges along the way that everyone faces. Yeah. You know, even, you know, you may or may not know, but I'm a cancer survivor. And I love the fact that you mentioned humility is about accepting help from others because truly it was cancer that gave me not only humility, but vulnerability. Up until that point, I was like the person who said, I got this, I have this. And I realized after being bedridden for a week in the hospital and another week as well in the hospital that I needed help. There's no way I could go to the infusion centers and have, I needed someone to pick me up and people volunteered, but it, I had to break down my own walls. And I just really love the fact that you even speak to this because that is really the essence, I think why we're here, right? We're here to learn different things. And to me, that was, it had to come in the form of cancer, which was terrible, but. Uh, it did teach me that great lesson. Well, and my my lesson came through, that same lesson came through divorce. <clears throat> I had been raised by a mother who said, you know, you don't show pain and you don't ask for help. And then I became a woman engineer at a time, 1972, when I entered college was the first time that the percentage of women graduating with bachelor's degrees in engineering reached 1%. And so I graduated in 76. It wasn't even up to 3% by that point in time. You're, er, everything I do is representing all women. And if I show any vulnerability, if I ask for help, if I don't know how to do something, then I'm stupid. And then all women engineers are stupid. And then we can't, you know, so we can't display any of that vulnerability that you're talking about or asking for help. And so going into counseling, when first husband said he was moving out and understanding that asking for help was actually really important. And what I've learned since then is no one else can actually give you the things that they want to give you if you do mm. not allow them yeah. to give it to you by asking them for help. And so 
Oh yeah, Learn, learning to to be available to other to others to give, but then also to receive to be able to ask for help is so important. Yeah, 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 absolutely, and that, that it really is the definition of, of of being resilient. So, what are your five steps that someone can be more resilient? The first step is never give up. Everyone, as I said faces obstacles, keep putting one foot in front of the other in order to surmount the obstacle. It might have to be over, under, around, or through, mm. but don't give up. Second, the only thing you have control over in your life is your attitude. You can't control another person and let us all assure one another that you cannot control the environment. <laughs> if we did not know that before the pandemic, let me say that we now <laughs> know that. And, and, and that this also goes to what I said before. If your attitude is that whatever you're faced is impossible, it will be impossible. Yeah. If you decide that it's a challenge and that there's a way to get around that challenge, then you'll get around the challenge. Third, what we also already talked about, don't curse the darkness. When you can light one little candle, look for the silver lining, figure out the lesson that you're supposed to be learning and bloom where you're planted. And then fourth, prepare yourself for the worst thing that you could possibly think would happen in a situation. It almost never happens. But if you have prepared yourself for that really bad thing, then you're ready for whatever actually comes your way. And then I call it she who laughs lasts, but it's remember to have a sense of humor. It's so many things in life, learn to laugh at them, learn to laugh at the situation. A sense of humor will get you through so many unimaginable occurrences in your life. I, that's so beautifully said. It's so, so true because even in my struggle and, you know, I have several interview series, Resilience was my third one. Uh, I spoke to cancer survivors and nine times out of 10, all of them said I had to laugh because it was the way to break the ice. It was the way to start conversation. It was also the way to make me feel better. Um, and it's so important. It's, it's incredibly important. And we have something called gallows humor, which I think is what you're probably referring to. Yes. Where, you know, you but you look at the dark side and you look at all of these bad things that are happening and you try and find the humor because it's really the only way to retain your sanity <laughs> <laughs> during those kinds of situations. Yeah, 100, 100, 100%. Um, so I really love also that you spoke in the article about empowering women and girls, like respecting the rights and eliminating discrimination. I come from a family of mostly females. I mean, my dad and I were the only males. I was the youngest of three children. My two older sisters were the epitome of, you know, strong women. Um, but I really love the fact that, of course, the world, thankfully, or at least the U.S., is moving towards that empowerment. What have you seen in terms of progress? Or what have you seen in terms of more work that needs to be done in AI? Oh my goodness, this is such a, a long involved answer and topic. So I already told you 1972, and I'm just going to use engineering and women in STEM to start this discussion, but then we'll get more. 1% okay. of the undergraduate degrees in engineering in 1972 were awarded to women. And then we went up to about 15.5% by 1985. And we've really never made it past 20. 
and it's 2022. That's 50 years, 50 years. Maybe we could say 20%. The numbers are in that neighborhood. They've never gotten to 50. And that's, that's always been the objective to get to 50. We have pay equity issues. And then I, one of my books that I wrote called Her Story, A Timeline of the Women Who Changed America, which was published in 2008 in hardback and 2013 in paperback. I didn't know women weren't in the history books. At one point in time, maybe 15 or 20 years ago, out of a standard US history high school textbook of 500 pages, seven pages mentioned women. That's one and a half percent ish. So we've improved, okay? We're up to 10%. Oh <laughs> Half of the population of the world wow. is women. Yeah. And 10% of American history textbooks reference women. And, and th this actually goes maybe even off topic, but it's, it's related. I mean, are we learn history by wars. Everything is focused on wars. And so if US history textbooks have 10% content, that references women, what do other countries in the world have? And the answer is as bad or worse. Oh. And so um, I'm actually under contract right now to write a book. I've, I've written the book. We're in design and we're in the design stage and the proofing stage and all of those kinds of things for Kenya, her story, Kenya. And it's my intention to write a book for each of the countries in Africa where women are not valued and girls are not educated. Because when you educate women and girls, when you value women and girls, then you value everyone in the society. And then the economic conditions improve and the economic prosperity improve for everyone. Yeah. 100%. So I think maybe this would probably be a great topic to start the brainstorming. What do you think or what do you feel that can be done about this? And maybe you and I can just go back and forth and try to create, you know, try to create some ideas around this. Well, one of the things that I do already is that I nominate women for awards. Mm -hmm. There are an, there are actually an amazing number of awards that people can be nominated for. There are awards in corporations, there are awards at universities, there are business awards, there are all kinds of awards. And I have walked into many an engineering corporation's headquarters office and there is a wall of their fellows or there is a wall of their patent holders or there is a wall of something and I count the women and usually you can't sometimes you can't even find them and so bringing awareness is always the first step that there is an issue and there is a problem and then making sure that materials are provided so that when people say oh you know I can't find any women. I can't find any people of color. I can't find this. I can't find that. That we actually have materials available and ready to say, it, it's like women on corporate boards. Well, we can't find any qualified women. We can't find any people of color to serve on, on boards. Well, if you don't look in the right place, you are never going to find them. They are there. 
they exist. The women in history exist. The women patent holders exist. The women everything exists. And so that's one of the things that I'm doing is to make sure that the materials are there so that people can find them. Yeah. Yeah. I once heard a really great sort of quote. Um, I forgot where it was, but it was basically like if I had a million dollars and I met a million people and they all, and I, I was ready to give out that million dollars and I gave each one had, you know, sort of give everyone the money. I give each one a dollar. It would do nothing for their lives at all. Zero. But if I taught them something, if I created a shift in consciousness, if I created a shift in mindset or gave them the tools necessary, ideas or inspiration or motivation, that that dollar could go a long way, even a, a start in the right direction. So I'm thinking just coming from someone who loves women in general, um, of, of just sort of having women in positions of power or having women be, you know, um, sort of, you know, in public, you know, places and, and you know, public, you know, you know means. Um, I'm thinking to myself, how does the shift in consciousness happen? Is it so much so that men have to sort of um, grow from this? Or is it more that men have to allow for space for women? Oh, I think it's both. I think it's, it's absolutely both. And I mean, one of the reasons that I nominate women for awards is that often the men don't think to nominate the women. And so if if the men are in the positions where they would normally do that and they're not thinking about the women, if we can consciously get them to see women who are qualified and capable and doing amazing things, my co-author Charlotte Weissman on the first Her Story book her story, A Timeline of the Women Who Changed America, sent me something yesterday about a woman in the space program. As she was going into labor, she actually figured out the answer to the question that she had been asked. And from the hospital, she communicated back to the, and this I think was someone at, um, at NASA. This was in the space program, an issue in the space program. And she communicated it back while she was in labor. I mean, Pat Schroeder, who was the Congresswoman from Colorado, 24 years in the United States House of Representatives actually told the New York Times, I have a brain and a uterus and I use both. And so getting past some of these preconceptions that we have about who has skills and who has knowledge and who has talent and capabilities and what that package looks like and understanding that talents and capabilities come in all kinds of packaging. Yeah, one 100%. I, I actually attended before COVID, uh, something called a men's group. And before that, I knew nothing what a men's group was. Basically, it was a bunch of men, like 17 or 18 of us, we met in the Catskills. There was these exercises around embodiment, you know, coming in, in tune. And really the idea is that men have to grow and change. Men have to change because of the Me Too movement, men have to change because the world's changing. And there has to be more emotions that men have to not only um, sort of feel within themselves, but also display in the real world. And I think that would be a right step in the right direction. I mean, what what, what are your thoughts on that? I, I actually agree. And and when, when women talk about men, often the things they say are, are, are along the following. Well, what did they talk about? Well, they talked about sports teams. <laughs> And often it's true, I, you know, and, and so, but did they ever talk about their feelings? No. 
Did they ever communicate about important events in their lives or what was happening in their family or what was happening at home or how much they love their pets even? No. And, and so I, I think there is room for all of us. And, and actually to one of your points, I have said this for a very long time. I'm so tired of trying to change the women. You know, there's nothing really wrong with the women. The reason why the women are not in leadership positions, executive management positions, CEO positions, it's not because they don't have the skills and the abilities. It's because their skills and abilities aren't valued. 100%, 100%. So um, I think it's time for acceleration. People say that there's acceleration with technology. Obviously it's happening in and around us. There needs to be an acceleration with this as well. So I really love it. I love the fact that we've been going there. So Jill, tell my audience where they can find more about you, your work, your books. I, I mean, I can't wait. I can't wait for your book. Time. Well, this one actually wow. is a pre-release copy. Uh, it, the official release date is May 1st, over, under, around, and through How Hall of Famers Surmount Obstacles. You can find it on over, under, around, and through.com. It's published by Fulcrum Publishing. It will be out officially May 1st, but you can order it pre-release. I have a variety of websites, HerStoryAtimeline.com, Hollywood Her Story, I haven't mentioned that book, Hollywood Her Story, an illustrated history of women in the movies, HollywoodHerStory.com, and then JillTeachin.com are the, the best websites to go and look at. So those four, I think, are enough. There's more, but that's enough. Well, you know, I, I, I make every guest put out their superpower. So yours is get stuff done. It's, it's no, it's no question in my mind why you chose that as the quote for your superpower. But I get, I get is, it done. Yeah. I, I love to ask my guests, what is the vision? What is the like ultimate for right now for, for Jill? Well, the, the ultimate vision is, and I actually say it in my um, affirmations every morning, is I'm going to motivate an army to change the perception of women around the world. And you know what? I, I support you on that. Any way I can help, please let me know. All I'm right. trying to change the dialogue with survivors. That's, that's my mission. I, I understand. And we each get to have, I mean, it's an amazing thing. There's a purpose for everyone. And I, I think that's important for your listeners to, to hear. Everyone has a purpose. And once you find it, the reason that you're here is to do it. Love it. And get it done. <laughs> and get it done. <laughs> it's funny that you even use that too, because uh, my parents had their 50th wedding anniversary, obviously before COVID. And that was the thing I put in there. My, I said, my mom got shit done. I mean, I, I actually said it because that's what she did. She literally did. And I saw it in every moment uh, of every day. Um, so wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Jill. I really appreciated this. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode of The Human Resolve. If you feel that others may enjoy this episode as well, please share socially at The Human Resolve. You can also visit my website, thehumanresolve.com, where I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions, a subscription to my weekly newsletter where I probe into the secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains. And my author website, isurvivedcancer.co, where you can purchase my number one best-selling book, I Survived Cancer and Here's How I Did It, 
35 cancer survivors share their journey and view the book trailer, including excerpts from the book. If you could also help me out and give me a review and rating on this podcast platform, because I do care what you have to say, I would really appreciate it. Now, get out there, my friends, and get busy living.